This is the Enthusiasts Guild, a place for conversations about wonderful and interesting things with the people who enjoy them. I'm Fletcher C. Finch. I'm Adam Zaremski. And our topic today is national parks. Adam, can you tell me a little bit about the history of the national parks? No. No. (laughs) I'm not doing it. No, we're not talking about the history of the national parks in this episode. No, people can find that someplace else. (laughs) I think Ken Burns has done some wonderful documentaries on the history and there's a lot of other books about who founded what and when and where and why. I think we're going to talk about what makes us enthusiastic about national parks. It's pretty neat because there are a couple national parks which we've each been to and some uh, highlights that we're ready to share. Let's go to the Northeast and start with Acadia National Park. Oh, yes. That's a good one. You were at Acadia and your trip inspired me to go there. I went there with my wife. It was on our honeymoon. We went in April of 2014. It's a nice drive. I think it's 11 hours. I could be off on that. Just kind of cruise up through some mountains and along the coast, make your way up to Bar Harbor. We stayed in a bed and breakfast, but we got to explore the park, go check out the coastlines. That was beautiful. I I still remember just when you get out there and you see the Atlantic and we were out there on some foggy day for the first time and it was a little misty and the waves are just crashing against the shore. You see a couple boats out there and the wind's coming in. It's a good memory. It's a good oh wow factor that I think a lot of national parks have. That was the first national park I had been to. It was just awe-inspiring. So I'm a person who really loves mountains and I really love the ocean. There are very few places in the world, I think, where you get such a stunning combination of mountains and the ocean as New England and Acadia specifically. The scope and the scale of these crashing waves and these these huge cliffs and the beautiful scenery. And it is it's hard not to speak about it in cliches because it is so awe-inspiring and it's hard to find the right words for it. I that's that's one I didn't know much about at the time. It was when we were deciding on a honeymoon trip, we just wanted to do something different than go to a warmer climate and have an all-inclusive place. Sharon picked the idea of going to Acadia. We did bring a tent, but we never actually used it because it was April again and kind of chilly up there. Some snow was still around. Yeah, we, we camped out in Acadia and did some tent camping. One of my clearest memories from Acadia is waking up around two in the morning and stepping out of the tent and just looking up into the night sky. It was so almost impossibly clear and dark and I could see so many stars and I could just see that that swirl of the Milky Way and it just impressed itself on my mind so much. It was beautiful and wondrous and I'm I'm glad I had that experience. I was a little disappointed because they say that uh, Cadillac Mountain in Acadia is the first place that sunlight hits the United States and I wanted to go up there and see it from the mountain and it was a super foggy morning and we could not see anything at all oh that stinks it's a reason to go back i I agree i've seen that factoid about the sunlight Mm -hmm. and it's funny because when i was reading about that there were several other places that said no we are the first place in the u.s to see the sunrise sun rays in the morning and i love that being able to claim something so silly as that oh, yeah. is something like communities might f- fight over in a gentle way um, just to lay claim to it so they can say, come visit us. But I think going to the top of the mountain at Acadia would be the ideal place to see that. 
you know, I'm kind of curious. You you said you went there because of me. What was it that I said that you thought, hey, we should go drive 11 hours to check out this park? <laughs> Honestly, some of it had to do with the beer in Portland and the <laughs> options available there. It, it's a nice drive up from Portland to Acadia. You can stop at these cute little towns along the way, kind of hug the seashore and uh, see these little towns, check out like little craft shops and uh, little local beaches as as you're heading up. And I, I'm a fan of lighthouses and there are a lot of lighthouses to see in that part of the world. Are you the type that like has to see them when you're passing by? I'm not a lighthouse completist, but I do enjoy it. <laughs> I love the concept that there are lighthouse completists out there. I, you know, they're they're cool to check out. I know we looked at a couple of them. You know, something we didn't actually see when we were up there, but we heard about, and it's it's a talking point my wife and I have every so often. Um, at the bed and breakfast, there was a an older couple who I guess would vacation in the area and they would go explore Acadia and they were talking about moving up there, but they were very proper mm -hmm. in their way. And, uh, I remember the, the gentleman and they're probably, they were probably in their sixties at this point. And he, he was telling us where to go. I think it was our first night there. And he's saying, ah, yes, I recall when we go out on the shores and you'd see the eagles aloft in the breeze. <laughs> Uh, and he, he did that laugh. And every time uh, my wife and I would see something fascinating or pretty, one of us would turn and say something like, ah, the eagles aloft. <laughs> so that's we didn't actually see eagles there, but I hear they are and they might be aloft. There's some good hiking there, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful hikes and some some nice trails to see. When you were at Acadia, did you ever go to Thunder Hole? I don't recall. Thunder Hole is this area where the waves over the years have carved out kind of a um, it's a hollow spot. And when the waves come crashing in, crash and smash into it and the way that the rocks have been carved out it makes this tremendous noise and you can just feel the force of it uh, you can you can hear it you can see the water spraying up in the air and you can feel it booming like a drum and it's it's really amazing and it does i i think it does what many of the national parks what the most famous scenes do which is really give you a sense of of the natural wonders that are there and again the the power and the force and the not history in in human terms but history in geological terms that went into building these incredible places because for a lot of these grand canyon um yosemite uh, yellowstone or the geysers they have such fantastic imagery but and i'm sure a lot of people have seen the images and as you said earlier it's it really is just something when you are there. I guess I was surprised for each of the places I've been over the years. When you get there and you do see some moment, it's still, even if I've seen it in a picture before, it's still like, wow, wow, just look at that. And you, you get a sense of why a lot of people said, hey, we should preserve this chunk of land mm -hmm. and make sure people can come and see it. Uh, it's really cool that that is something that happened in our country. I know it's happened in other countries around the world for different places, but it's really awesome that that's a big feature of ours. Actually, it's hard to find the words to talk about some of this. It's funny because I was thinking about it and I have all these vivid mental impressions of these places that we're talking about, but so many of them are, are visual or emotional. I'm struggling a little bit to come up with the proper words for them. I think we've been trying to figure out how you describe it. 
a lot of it is cliches. A lot of it is, you know, it's an oh wow factor for me. Mm-hmm. Very often, I'd say these parks, when you look at them, you see the photos, you see imagery that comes from it before you go. So you kind of have an idea of what you're going to experience. But then when you get there, it's oh, wow, that's that is amazing. That is something to behold, I guess, with your own eyes. It's not just looking at a, a postcard or a picture on your phone. It's it's there. You're smelling it. You're seeing it. You're feeling the wind on your face. Uh, like Acadia, just standing on the edge of the shore there, high above some of the, the water, the one hike, you're probably a hundred feet up, I think. And yeah, just having the water, you know, still spraying your face, still being there, hearing the noises. Yeah. It's just something special. Yeah. It's this full sensory experience. And I, I think you're right to say, you know, it's different seeing it with your own eyes. Pictures really can't do it justice because you don't get the sense of the sheer vastness of these spaces. For me, at least, it, it stays in my mind even years afterwards. So where should we go now? Spinning our imaginary globe a little bit. Let's uh, let's land in Yellowstone. When you saw Yellowstone the first time, what, do you recall a feeling you get from that? Yellowstone I, honestly makes me think of dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, it's just this otherworldly landscape and the air smells sulfurous and you have these geysers that are just shooting water up into the sky and these thermal pools that are bubbling and Old Faithful is is the most known and but you don't have to wander all that far to just feel like you're in the middle of an alien landscape and I could just envision dinosaurs roaming the, this landscape too. And the the natural life that's there now is impressive and in many ways alien. As somebody from Western New York, you don't usually see elk or these giant grizzly bears or bison. And they're just there and it's their park too. I like the dinosaur thing. That that is pretty accurate when you think of Yellowstone. You know, yeah, the geysers are cool, but I think the thing that always stood out to me the thermal pools or just the colors that some of those had like these vivid blues and reds. You've probably seen a bird maybe in a magazine with those type of colors, but to see that in just the ground in this area where there's, yeah, I don't know. I always, those things were always struck me. And then some of the, and and they do seem almost artificially vivid and, and vibrant. Right photoshopped almost but it's that's there you're looking at it and just to see water boiling on the ground is pretty incredible and and kind of mind-bending i think the sulfur smell too that you said i'd forgotten about that yeah that was pretty powerful throughout the whole place i'd had a goal um my wife and i it's uh not too long term but we'd love to get I'd love to get back up there and take her, but I like to do it in the wintertime because I feel like that's something I haven't really done with a lot of these national parks and kind of explore, like go cross-country skiing Mm -hmm. because it just has some wide open land too. And I remember when I went, I didn't get to explore that one as much, but you still were out there and like, there's just even if you didn't get too far, like you said, you can go and still see some amazing sights. And I'm like, ah, oh, there's just so much to look at this one. I think that was always one of the top parks I've seen. What comes to your mind when you think of of Yellowstone that way? Uh, longtime listeners of the show will recall I've mentioned the the cross country trip once or twice when I was in college. I 
finished college. And so I hit a lot of these national parks with a friend back in 2006. And when I went to Yellowstone, it was kind of on the eighth week, maybe of the trip, something like that. And I remember we were kind of emotions were a little frayed for a bit. We weren't, we were both kind of like, all right, let's go see Yellowstone. Like it was on the trip. We're going to see it. But when we got there, I remember I was a little grumpy, which isn't unusual. And just kind of walking around, I felt so much better. Mm -hmm. We had seen all these other really amazing parks, but Yellowstone has always held, again, it's that visual thing that you talked about. Yellowstone has held a high level in my mind because it just, even though it's like this violent eruptions of water and boiling, it was peaceful and Mm -hmm. I guess relaxing. And so, you know, I've got a Yellowstone t-shirt that whenever I put it on, it's just kind of a, oh yeah, you know, just kind of a nice thing and relaxing. So I, maybe, maybe that's what I think of when I look back at that park. I think that sometimes the vastness of these natural spaces that you're in puts things in a different perspective while you're visiting. You get a sense of you're there and it's not that you're insignificant in a bad way, but you feel so small in relation to everything else that's around you and the the history and the the scope of everything that's around you. And that is kind of calming. You think, okay, my little problems, they are just that. They're little problems. They're not all that important. That's an experience that I have at a lot of these beautiful, enormous natural places. Yeah, the, the scope of time and what occurred before you, what will be thereafter, the amount of people that have been through to see it. And, you know, as massive as Yellowstone and these other parks are, they're small in comparison to the, you know, they're just a tiny part of the, the earth. Today, we're going to shout out the graduates of 2020. A lot of the people graduating from high school and college and higher ed programs aren't getting the attention that they might otherwise normally. And so we wanted to say a special shout out to the graduates of 2020. I just wish them the best out there. I hope, you know, they can look back and take inspiration from what happened during this time and find that they're strong and they're resourceful and it's not it wasn't an easy time it seems like a lot of the schools in our area appear to do well as far as reaching out to students and it seems like students were able to adapt to that so i i just hope you learn remember that adaptability going forward and that'll be a key thing to serve you and just cheers to your class and best of luck Spinning our virtual globe, what park are we landing on next, Adam? I'm going to go in towards the Grand Canyon slash Arches region. I know they're not quite next to each other, but uh, those are two I just kind of wanted to briefly highlight. I haven't been to either yet, so so tell me what to look for. So Grand Canyon, key step is flying to Las Vegas and then leave as soon as possible. Don't stay in Las Vegas. <laughs> we did that. And I've been to Grand Canyon twice, actually. It was around that trip with a friend after college. And then before she was my wife, uh, when we were dating, we went out there to Arizona. And then we explored some other places like Arches and Great Sand Dunes. Grand Canyon, that is, it's more than a hole in the ground. It is massive. It is a huge, oh, wow moment when you kind of 
drive up and you first see the expansiveness of what has occurred over thousands and thousands of years with erosion. Uh, it's just it's amazing. The the colors that one, I think everyone just to at least drive by it and see it and just to see how wide certain spots are. Um, if you do have a chance and I've done this both times, uh, hike down to the bottom to the Colorado river. That is also amazing. If you do it, I think each time I was around June, July, you'll probably at the top of the grand Canyon. I think the temperatures are around, you know, you might see eighties and then you hit the bottom and I've got a picture of Sharon pointing at the thermometer saying 120 degrees. So it's, yeah, it gets crazy hot. And I remember just sitting at times in this little stream that would nearby and you just kind of cool off. So when you're going down, it's not scary if you're doing the main trail. So the trail switch back, back and forth and uh, going down is fine. But going up, they tell you, don't look up because then you'll realize how far you have to go. And it is <laughs> it takes so long. We when we left the bottom, we will. And most people do this. You leave it like um maybe 3 a.m., 4 a.m., so you get up in the night so you can hike up and hopefully be out by noon when it's getting really hot out. So that was something. And arches, I just wanted to briefly say that's also got some amazing features, um, rock formations, but it's also a really cool park to kind of, it's like a playground where you can kind of hike up and climb these things. I was really surprised how much access you had to all these spots that that sounds wonderful yeah yeah so i just wanted to head there and kind of highlight those and recommend those two for sure out of there every park across the country i'm sure has something amazing but those are two that really stand out in my mind so where should we go now i wanted to make sure to highlight glacier national park as well it's pretty close to yellowstone uh we did that in in a combination trip started at glacier and then went to yellowstone and glacier has some of the most beautiful scenery that i've i've ever seen there's what they call the going to the sun road where you're climbing up this beautiful mountainside and it is simultaneously the most beautiful view that i've ever seen and the most terrifying driving that i've ever done it was really you know white knuckle driving and uh just stopping as frequently as was reasonable to get out of the car take a deep breath and take a look at this incredible scenery these just lush mountain sides did you feel like you were driving towards the sun yeah just you're you're just climbing upwards along this incredible mountainside what else did you do in Glacier? There are lots of different waterfalls and cascades to see, and those are just gorgeous. So did some stops for for hiking and watching those. There's a, a spot called Running Eagle Falls, which has a beautiful cascade, and it's a it's a really nice hike that you can do there. It's not too challenging, but you get away from the road for a little bit and just really get to enjoy the beauty of the scenery. Nearby is the Blackfeet Nation Bison Preserve, and that was the first place I ever saw a herd of bison, and I was just so impressed by that. What sort of souvenirs do you like to take home from these parks? You know, we we remember these parks with vivid memories, but what else do you like to bring back with you? Photographs are key, but I've, I don't have the camera that, you know, the professional photographers do to really capture those images. And plus those people are also, you're waiting, you're trying to get the right image at the right time. So postcards are key to me. I love having them mm-hmm. because they do capture some of the magical moments that you 
witnessed at a park. I, I started to get into a habit. Magnets were another one, just as a quick, because it's kind of fun to put them on the refrigerator and be reminded of it more often. We've started doing that recently. Another one, I don't know why I started it, but getting a t-shirt slash long sleeve shirt at each of the parks. Okay. I did that at Grand Canyon. And then I started doing it again a couple of years ago when we went to the Great Smoky Mountains and Shenandoah. And I'm trying not to do it too much because I have enough running T-shirts for when I do all the turkey trots and buffalo and other things. But I still if I pass by a park store and they have a really good shirt, I'm probably stopping in to pick it up. How about you? I'll second you on getting those postcards. They're a great cheap way to remember some of the most impressive sites. And I also like to take photos while I'm there, but I like to not have to worry too much about getting the perfect shot and the perfect angle. And I'd rather just enjoy the scenery with my eyes personally and and not through the lens of a camera. That's a good point. That's really good. I also really do love to buy the uh, National Park posters. There's a a set of them that are in that WPA style, the, the old style where they're very brightly colorful. They're sold in most of the parks. Uh, there's a set that I have that are from uh, Lantern Press in that WPA style. And I think they're just beautiful. It's a great reminder. And I like that that look of the artwork. I also found that the uh, the Library of Congress has more than 900 actual WPA posters that are available digitally. And that collection includes several national park posters. And so it's pretty neat because you can see these 1930s posters of Yellowstone and Grand Canyon and Zion National Park. Now, the WPA, what does that stand for? It's the Works Progress Administration, and it was a federal project to employ more people during the Depression and get some public benefit and public art out of it. So we actually did get a little history in this podcast. So yeah, we did. Cheers to that. For both of us and the kids, Sharon and I started the Parks Passports, a passport book they have, Mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. So you can buy one and then every time you go, you can get a stamp from the day you were there and put in the book and... If you want, you can also buy the um, stamps to put in the book or a sticker. It's kind of, you know, another revenue source for the parks, which is fine with me. And it's also a cool little thing to like a checklist to have. So we've we've started doing that in the last couple of years. So, Adam, I, I found some great advice about National Parks Online, specifically about Yellowstone. This was from an online reviewer who says, save yourself some money, boil some water at home. <laughs> <laughs> Is that for real? (laughs) Yeah, so that's from a real review. And the reason I know about this is that I came across it on an Instagram uh, account called Subpar Parks, which I encourage anybody who loves national parks and especially anybody who likes these old WPA style posters that I was mentioning. If you enjoy those, there's an artist, Amber Cher, who's created a bunch of beautiful park posters featuring the words from some terrible uh, online reviews from people who did not appreciate the (laughs) national parks that they were at. For Glacier National Park, somebody wrote, too cold for me. And so there's there's a beautiful picture of mountains and lakes and trees and in large, bold letters, it just says too cold for me. <laughs> I, I love the complaints. That's so good. You know, just what were people expecting? when they went? <laughs> you know, that's if yes, sometimes these parks are cold. Sometimes maybe there's a feature where you're thinking big deal. But really, if you think about it, it is a pretty big deal. You know, what you're seeing is maybe unique or just grand. (laughs) What else do you got on that one? 
My personal favorite is someone who is in Hawaii who visited a national park and their review said, didn't even get to touch lava. (laughs) (laughs) So again, that's subpar parks on Instagram. (laughs) Definitely check it out. What were they hoping for? (laughs) It's probably for the best that they didn't touch lava, but I'm not sure they didn't try. I I saw plenty of people who were getting awfully close to the uh, boiling springs in Yellowstone. So, (laughs) Yes, uh, we should say while you can want to explore and go do fun things at these parks, be safe when you do yeah, it. Be safe. Don't don't touch lava. Be cautious. Just don't touch lava. <laughs> be open <laughs> to an experience. Be ready for maybe a little physical discomfort to enjoy all of this natural beauty. Right. But it is worth it. Oh, it's totally worth it. I've done a lot of hiking in these. You have as well. It's camping. It's it's worth it. Uh, I just hope people, when they if they do have that opportunity to go locally, if you're in the Western New York area, you can go down to Ohio. Cuyahoga Falls is a national park. There's also state parks, county parks. You know, just get outside and do something. Oh, but yeah. The national parks, they're something special. So if you have a chance just to go explore them, to hike, spend a weekend or two, just try and get out there. Make that a point if you can. Adam, thanks for talking with me about national parks. Oh, this was great. We'll have to figure out where we go next. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Enthusiasts Guild. You can subscribe and hear all our episodes through your podcast player of choice. Find us on Facebook at The Enthusiasts Guild, on Twitter at Enthusiast Guild, or contact us at TheEnthusiastGuild at gmail.com. Don't touch lava. This week's music is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons license.